What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Welcome back, Encounter Connoisseurs, to more of the show that puts the EXP in expedition. This is the League of Ultimate Questing. My name's Kip Killigan, voice of the LUQ and servant of the Nexus Enterprise. With me today is the fearless and fragrant Stormclad Thundertongue. Storm, is that some kind of cologne I detect? I may have coaxed some sweet-smelling vapors over my rippling textures this morning. Let a man smell nice, Kip. No, no, I like it. You just look very dapper today. You've hammed up your torn sleeve holes, and it looks like you just got a new haircut. Does someone have a big date with their FGGF tonight? Nope. Gladys is taking a little vacation right now. Some time to reflect with a little self-examination. It's very healthy. Oh, that sounds nice. Well, where'd she go? Alcara? The Free Isles? The Elemental Plane of Fire. Oh, wow. Yeah, she goes at least once a year. Always comes back clear-headed and confident. Boy, is she glad to see me. If you know what I mean. I try to shy away from the hot jokes, but it gets a little steamy. Huh. But wait, why are you fancied up? What? I gotta have a reason to look nice for our fans? You're wearing cologne for our fans? At home? It's all or nothing, Kip. Oh, you're trying to charm more viewers for the Hall of Legends vote. (laughs) That all makes sense now. You're just gonna call me out like that, Killigan? I wanna put on my best face to remind the folks at home why I'm their... one of their favorite hosts. I need to win this, Kip. It's fine. I think you look very nice. And of course I wish you the best in the vote. But don't get too worked up about it. If you obsess over the outcome, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, you're right. It's just, Kip, you're the voice of the LUQ, but I'm the big, thick, meaty, heart-pumping quest blood, or hero globin, if you will, through this machine. This machine with blood. Uh. You sure are, pal. And speaking of heroes, I think it's time we check in on the champion rank team, the Mortal Dawn, as they set off on a new quest to aid the dwarves of Remitex. Stay tuned for the action. Eridition's farthing is just like you remembered it. As you get out of the tuber, the smoky air catches in your throat, and you have to quickly get out of the way before a fast-moving mechanical transport takes over the road. The towering skyscrapers of Anmar stand like giants connected by bridges and pipes. Slow-moving airships pepper the sky. As you pass the Tenfold Institute and the Three Peaks Temple, you enter the Millstone Miles. The last time you were here, you met an old dying dwarf named Gadmir, but you only saw the miles from the outside. There's a scattering of foot traffic entering through a huge gateway of black iron. To the south are countless mounds of ore and coal being transported and processed in the many stone factories, pumping dark plumes of smoke into the air. But the path you are on leads north, to Anmar's Pass, one of the most impressive structures ever made by man or dwarf. Your feet clink against the metal steps leading deep underground. The faded sunlight is quickly replaced with glowing hum of blue bulbs that dangle throughout the tunnel. It leads to a platform where maybe a dozen dwarves stand waiting silently. 
A huge set of metal tracks lead outward into a colossal dark tunnel. It looks like it goes on forever, and the airflow smells like the sea. This underground rail system is built beneath the Northern Maiden, running under the ocean all the way to the Dwarven Islands of Remetex, over 900 miles. Since its finished construction decades ago, the dwarves have refined the transport to be so streamlined that it can make the journey in just six hours. The clicking of chains and the sound of well-oiled gears colliding ushers the light coming towards you from down the tunnel. A flat metal platform with a half-cylinder on top glides along the tracks. It's almost like a moving metal bunker, with barred windows and glowing bulbs in each corner. As it slows and grinds to a stop adjacent to the platform, the waiting dwarves step back as a handful of humans and dwarves step off, who make their way back up the stairs to Anmar. Those waiting then pay their fare at a turnstile, one gold coin each, and make their way onto the transport. Your ride has arrived. I should have gotten his autograph. I feel like an idiot. He's a legend. Who is? Miles Evendar. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. Morty doesn't like him, and especially now that he's part deity, I, I kind of feel like Morty's got a, probably a pretty good sniffer. I guess. That doesn't change the fact that he's incredibly successful in exactly the same field as us. I never took you for one to get starstruck. I'm not starstruck. I just think, you know, he's, he's good. He's, he knows what he's doing. I agree. What would getting his autograph have got you? An autograph? Well, you're normally so practical. Uh, I don't know. Everybody seems to think autographs are a big deal. I, I, his name is signed on the thing, and you're like, oh, look, it's not valuable, I guess. I sign a piece of paper, and I hand it to you. <laughs> mm, I'm sure this will be valuable at some point. <laughs> So you each pay a gold coin into the turnstile to make your way onto the platform. Arvid, you pay two, one's for Morty. Because he's, bo- he's boy-sized. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> and in a short time, you all find a seat, you hear the clicking of the tracks, and the platform begins to slide seamlessly through the tunnel into the darkness. The tunnel in front of you and behind you is pitch black, but wherever the transport travels becomes illuminated by the blue bulbs. Sometimes there are eyes watching from the shadows. Sometimes a group of dwarves hug the wall while doing maintenance as it speeds by. The speed of the chains beneath you is a blur, but the ride is surprisingly smooth. You pass by a few more transports shooting the other direction, packed heavy with crates of unrefined stone. At times, you can see that the glass ceiling reveals the ocean. Pods of whales swim overhead for a fleeting moment. How you doing, Artex? Um, I glance down at my arm. Hungry. Well, you seem different. Uh, there was a... I switched my arm into a shield form, just kind of like without making a big deal about it, and I go, I had the snack. <laughs> Whoa, can you do a rabbit? <laughs> I I put up two fingers with my working hand. <laughs> I wish I could simply eat my fears away. Actually, that is exactly what I do. It is. It really is. <laughs> Uh, but no, there was a a sea creature that uh, I think my patron bestowed upon me. Is this why you know accessorize? I point to the pearls. Yes, uh, there was a very strange clam inside that gave me these. Out of curiosity, what does the shield look like? Does it look like a clam half? Um, no, I, I imagine it probably kind of grows together like a bunch of intertwined roots and then kind of gets hard. Mm. Um, and then they probably sort of soften and retract when I pull it back in. Hmm. 
The dwarves on the transport around you seem to be ignoring you, just kind of sitting solemnly staring at their own hands, not even looking out the window. The energy on this transport is vibrant. Yes, they seem very excited to be going home. Excuse me? <clears throat> I'm just curious. What's on your mind? What business is it of yours? None. Just trying to be a friend. Well, don't bother. <laughs> pulls out a flask and... Oh, well, cheers. Pull out a big flask of mine. Smell this. Pass. Maybe dwarves are just unpleasant. I don't know if someone sitting on the subway offered me something and said, sniff this. I definitely wouldn't either. I've been playing with something. It's like a, like the thaumaturgy, but not the little beer. Um, he claps his hands and all of a sudden the light in the room looks more saturated. So basically just colors are a little bit more vibrant. I can't do it for long, but uh, it looks nice, though. I look down at my black, like jet black scales and I go, I don't see a difference. <laughs> I was thinking it might be useful for when they do the shootings. Make a good picture. Are you looking into getting into production? No, I just thought it was interesting. I, you don't see a lot of uh, scry, and, and this is something new to me. I think it looks good. And light, you know, it's uh, the vibrancy and intensity. It's, it's fun to play with. I think I've always thought of light as a tool for weaponry, but now I'm starting to think of uh, beauty, and that it can kind of play with the eyes. I can see why you left the shift. <laughs> the old pictures there are monochromatic. It's boring. And just like clockwork, the voyage takes exactly six hours. When the transport starts to slow, you hear it clicking. The rails begin to ramp uphill. And you all ascend as the chains begin to now pull you upward instead of along. Attachments on the back join in lifting the platform, keeping the enclosure perfectly level until it enters the daylight sun out onto a boardwalk near a small stone station. Your legs feel like jelly as you step off, and you see over the heads of hundreds of dwarves going about their daily tasks, with sadness behind their eyes, many loading and unloading heavy steel barges. Off to the north, the main road winds upward into the base of what has to be the largest mountain you've ever seen. The inside seems hollow, like a terrarium of living stone, with buildings built along the walls. And there at the apex is a towering monolithic structure of black stone, suspended by chains and iron support beams. The Onyx Citadel, home of the Dwarven leaders, the Stone Lords, and the House of Remtexian government. A breathtaking structure, built as much like a fortress as an office of law. Despite the vast numbers of dwarves milling about around you, politely saying, pardon me and excuse me, friend, but bumping into you nonetheless, they all seem to be carrying the weight of mourning. One dwarf in particular catches your eye. He's holding a wooden sign that says Mortal Dawn written in Signian. He has pitch black hair that is whitened at the tips, a massive thick black mustache curled upward and woven into the braids of his hair. One of his eyes has been replaced with a gleaming spyglass lens, and his chin seems to be supported by an iron jaw piece, like half of a bear trap, with his beard spilling out underneath. His face has suffered from some serious damage and has been replaced with miscellaneous materials and possibly healed over several times. One of his legs has been replaced with what looks like a spring-loaded piston with a metal boot on the end of it. He wears a dirty long green coat with patches of some kind of office or company stitched all over it. And you're uncertain if he's wearing fancy gauntlets or his hands too are also fabricated. He waves you over when he catches your eye. There's no doubt in my mind that you're the group I've been waiting for. 
My name is Quarry Lord Broadbarrow. Sorry? I put my hand in my ear. I said, I'm Quarry Lord Broadbarrow, and you, without doubt, must be the Mortal Dawn. Artem gives like a cringy like shrug to the others. Uh, we are the Mortal Dawn. I thank you for your expediency in reaching Remitex. No small feat. You have my thanks. I heard feet. That's it. Yeah, I get one out of every three words. <laughs> I don't understand the problem you're all having with his accent. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not my signet. This is, this is, okay. Thumbs up. I apologize for my rough enunciation. Most of my tongue <laughs> has been replaced with ore and copper. That's nice. That's a metaphor, right? No, quite literally. Everything from the neck up is hodgepodge. <laughs> Quite a bit from the neck down, too. <laughs> That's all right. RTM has a vibrochromatica. Sounds fancy. <laughs> it is. I pull out the pink brick. I realize you've all just arrived via the Antmar Pass tram, but uh, I'd like to get to work right away if that's fine with you lot. It's fine by me. You've had some time to sit on your arses in the transport, so I imagine you're ready to go. So I have a question. Is is everybody here a huge bummer? Times are hard for the dwarfs of Remtech, with grim news in the recent past. Part of the reason we've hired you to help us. Only part of it. I suppose the primary source of it, but again, times are hard for us dwarves. The Tri-Race Alliance is growing thin, and... We haven't had as much output of ore and mineral as in recent years. We're having to find new veins in the mountains. But I can explain more on my vessel. This way. And uh, he leads you through some of the crowds of dwarves to the far end of the dock, where amongst these large metal barges, um, there are a couple smaller ones that look more like something between an iron barge and a steamship with a big wheel on the back. Um, This one's much smaller. It would probably house about 15 humanoid-sized creatures. Uh, and he begins to go about his work with a every time he takes a step, but he moves pretty deftly for a guy with a piston leg. Uh, and once he gets onto the ship, he begins to fire it up and smoke begins to pour gently out of the back and the wheel looks like it's ready to start turning. Hop aboard, my friend. There's a bit of a journey ahead of us. Again, I'm not getting much of this, but uh, I take it you mean you want to get on the boat? Please. <laughs> He does a universal come here gesture. His hands go. Wow, and the sound effects again. (laughs) Pretty good rusty hinge sound effect. The pistons were good too. Mm -hmm. And you climb aboard and the wheel begins to slowly spin. The act of unparalleled parking it is a slow, tedious one as he backs it up, eases it forward, backs it up. A couple of dwarves are watching and they wave to him friendly. He reaches up his metal hand and waves back. And then you make your way out along the coast of the massive Dwarven city. The water here is very dark and calm. This is a place called Fracture Bay. And you begin to make your way out along the coast of the massive Dwarven city. And you see a strange sight. There's a structure that resembles a metal dock, but one built of a solid slab, almost perfectly level with the surface of the water, and almost 100 feet long. There's a group of dwarves gathered near the end of it, surrounding a metal basin with fire burning in the metallic colors of copper and silver. Many of them wear black. Others wear robes of holy men. It looks like they are in mourning. The foremost figure in gray robes speaks powerfully in dwarven over the flames, summoning tears to the eyes of the gathered throng. 
Four more robed figures move to a small ramp at the side of the structure and push a heavy metal object the size of a stout coffin down the ramp where it smoothly slides under the surface of the water and sinks quickly. The speaking dwarf holds a braid of hair in one hand and a black mug in the other. He holds the braid over the open flame with his bare hand, and the ends begin to curl and burn. He shakes the ashes into the cup, and with a prayer offers it to what appears to be a dwarven brother and sister at the front of the congregation. They take the mug, and each of them presses their lips to it, drinking deeply, and wiping away tears as they pass it back. It's a funeral for one of the fallen from the island. One of the few whose bodies actually came back. This was a particularly sad one for our people. You see, that was the last living priest chosen by Calendron, the lord of hidden treasures and truth. Our dwarven gods aren't like most of the mainland gods. They are born of this world and live in the hearts of a few chosen. They can spread the teachings and honor them in life, but when a god stops choosing priests, their time draws to an end. With the death of that one dwarf... So dies the god. But his kin have consumed a small piece of his essence. A dwarven funeral tradition. His life will carry on and be part of theirs. And soon a new god will be born. For us to welcome into the world. Tragic but beautiful. It's a bit of an honor to witness this ritual. But as you're here to help us, I'd say you're as welcome as any. And pardon me while I take a moment for prayer. He remains silent for some time as he grips the wheel and steers you deeper out into the bay. I join him in prayer. But when I do, um, I'm going to be speaking in Dorgar. He seems to be made slightly uncomfortable by the sound of this language. But he does not question your prayer, realizing it is an act of faith. Uh, Chris is going to go towards the rites. Um, He's going to observe. And if there's any... uh, He's listening for any like hymns or any kind of like ambient patterns to uh to the scene you can just barely make out some of the noise from this distance out in the bay and it sounds like there's some kind of soft chanting in the dwarven language which is very difficult to decipher for those who don't speak it uh well the whole purpose of this is chris wants to kind of bring the music of the journey in the ocean and just kind of add a bit of comfort to this right to the scene You think the distance is maybe a bit far, but for those here on the boat, you can kind of hear the chanting and create a soft song that sort of marries with the the somber tone. And it seems very fitting. The mountain seems to moan in approval. This is part of the reason why my people have heavy hearts on these days. The passing of a dwarven god is a rare thing in our long lifespan. But it's the truth we must all face. A reality unavoidable and beautiful in its own way. As you make it further out into the bay, hundreds of small islands become visible. He points to one of them, and you can see structures on it, and he says, On these individual islands, we send groups of dwarves to dig and mine for one season, and then they return for another season to their homes. There are many of them. One of them in particular, though, met a horrible fate. When the season ended... And the workers returned, this one had no vessel sent back. We sent a group to explore and found devastation. Only a few bodies were recovered, and it seemed dangerous, so we had to call for help, as our men are needed in the mines as much as they can be had. 
The Stone Lords were willing to sell out some of our wealth to have outsiders come. Your group seemed as fine as any, gifted with magic, and some of you gifted perhaps exploring underground as well. Are any of these bodies remaining? I see that you are disposing of some of the dead. To my knowledge, all the bodies that have been recovered have been buried. Or burned. The job in essence we've hired you for is to explore this one island in particular, find out exactly what killed our men, and figure out the source of it, and if possible, stop it. Can you tell me anything about the condition of the bodies themselves? It looked like they were killed by weapons wielded by a keen hand to my eye. He says, adjusting the little lens on his eye. Anything else, like uh, maybe bite marks from something, as if they maybe had pets, attack dogs, or something like this? I would say some seemed natural, yes, like perhaps fang or claw. Some of them also seemed perhaps poisoned. All kinds of acts of warfare were beset upon them. So a few bodies recovered, killed by weapons, but most of them missing? Correct. Have you had problems with anything underground? The islands here can be home to some native creatures, but none of them that are brave enough to do battle with the dwarven workers. I'm not familiar with the geography of this area, but I know that for my people, there is a large number of uh, dangerous other civilizations. Do you have anything like this? Ah, I see what you mean referring to your people. He gestures towards the mainland of the mountains of Remetex and says, There are, without a doubt, countless tunnels that connect to the deep hives. From the mainland, these islands don't run quite so deep. Some of them far into the ocean, but uh, I doubt they connect with that land. I hope you're right. Yes, me as well. That would add quite a bit of complication to our future negotiations in the Tri-Race Alliance if we have a war on our hands instead of a simple attack. And uh, there's something else interesting about this, but you're about to see that for yourselves, he says looking outward. As the miniature steam barge makes its way across Fracture Bay, the cold, dark saltwater laps against the tarnished hull. The wind carries scents of burning coal and fresh earth. Wrapped in the crescent of the bay are hundreds of tiny islands, sticking out of the ocean like sharp fangs, each covered with small settlements of stone building with the sounds of stone cutting echoing across the water. You lurch past dozens as you make your way further into the Northern Maiden. One island in particular stands out from the other jagged stone points. It's covered in thick vegetation, like a tiny jungle growing out of raw stone. Huge birds circle overhead, but they swoop down into the overgrowth as the barge approaches. I'm sorry to say that here we are. I'd try to tell you more what to expect, but I don't really know. Keep your wits about you, kids. May whatever gods reach this place grant you good fortune. And with that, you set foot onto Rivestone Island. Funerals are just weird as hell, Kip. Every culture's got its own customs, but all we're doing is injecting the body back into the land like a cadaverous protein shake. Maybe it's a box full of worm food, or an ocean floor buffet. Maybe a snack for some trees, or just a hot jar of carbon. Uh, right you are, Storm. We halflings don't really have any specific customs for burial. We just kind of adopt the culture of whatever society we find ourselves part of. 
Not to mention our coffins only cost half as much. But what about you, Storm? What's your final resting place? Are you a box man or an ash man? <clears throat> you or anybody else, Kip. What was that? Nothing. Anyway, my mom's side of the family has been planting corpse trees all over Danmere in standard human fashion for generations. But me? I have a very specific way I'd like to go. Oh? There's an ancient game played by the Northern Orc tribes. Competitive, strategic, violent, and inspiring. It's got a cool orc name that won't make any sense, but it badly translates to Blood Sphere. Each team brings their own balls, each one made out of a different hide and filled with different uh, stuffing. Hot coals, angry wasps, metal shavings, it's all part of the game. Full impact offense and defense. Tackling, suplexes, body checks, you stay in the zone and you chuck the blood sphere. Knockouts are a point, goals are two. And there's a mess of combos that utilize both. How you get an enemy orc through your own goal, you get a free field rush. It's great. Well, that certainly sounds like a fascinating game, but what does it have to do with being laid to rest? I want to be the ball. The ball? Hell yes. Crush my bones down to shrapnel, cure my hide, and stuff me with myself. I want to get sent into the hereafter by having my corpse score a double from half court. This game has helped to shape orc politics, won wars, and awakened the minds of many a young orc trying to find themselves. I'm already dead. Fashion me into some sick murder ball and put me on the field. And if the ball survives until endgame, which, I mean, come on. Get the biggest orc on the field to drop kick me into the sunset over the ocean. Maybe I'll even kill a seagull on the way out. It's almost too beautiful to imagine. Huh, sounds like a complicated endeavor. Well, you'd better leave some pretty clear directions in your will. Whose will? Whoopsie. Well, while me and Storm discuss some post-mortem legal documents, let's check out a word from this week's sponsors. We'll be right back with more action and adventure. Hello, friends. You like magical powers? Of course you do. Everybody likes magical powers. Well, why don't you come on down to the hole? You know the one. But a league outside lives in Illy. Right next to the rock looks like a big nose. You just come on down to the hole and we give you your magical powers. Bring your friends. Bring your family. Bring the town guard. It doesn't matter. Once you're here, everything will be fine. We know life's been hard. It's always hard. But we can make it easy. You come down to the hole, we give you your magical powers. Have you seen this hole? Forget about it. Once you've been down to the hole, everything gets so much easier. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. 
ILU cuties. Zach here with another fantastic episode. This week has seen some amazing support from the community. More and more people joining the Discord and all of them absolutely wonderful. I especially want to thank our two, two newest legendary team members, Heath Marks and Devin Stika, I hope I got that name right, who will actually be filling out our newest team. Those teams, if you don't remember, are the Moonlight Veil, the Oathsworn, the Ancestor's Fury, the Cultured Cutthroats, the Iron Rhapsody, the Tavern Brawlers, and this week's featured team and our newest full team, the Unbroken Form, with Luta Sanderson, Evelet, Heath Marks, and Devin Stika. Thank you guys so much. If you haven't seen our new merch, come check it out. We've got Mortal Dawn gear now, and I am waiting right now on my own premium MDT. Through the end of December, we have a promo code SPIRITREST for free shipping. Last week, I messed that up, and I was too lazy to issue a correction. So yeah, it's through December, Spirit Rest. I've been terrible with my streaming lately, and I am so sorry for that. But you can usually find me doing some variety streaming Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m. PST at twitch.tv slash slapdash streams. Law and I do our co-op Pokemon playthroughs on Tuesdays at that time. If you want to advertise with us or you have a special message you want on the show, please shoot an email to admin at slapdashstudios.com. But that's enough business talk. Let's get you back to the action. The following is an excerpt from a medical journal of one Dr. Alder Hemlock in 2161. Yes. While I am honored to have been chosen as the king's new physician, I fear the job comes with many secrets attached. In this place, my medical journal, I can report my findings. The king is not well. His memory loss and disassociation is far too advanced and sudden for someone of his age. He's prone to bouts of anger. It seems to be the only emotion that separates him from the sleeping. His body, it, it seems like it's consuming itself. The onset was slow at first, treatable, but it's advanced beyond the means of my science. They, of course, called for the aid of the Holy Order of Haladin, but they have yet to arrive. War makes even men of the cloth fear to travel the roads. But there is more than just sickness here. Some kind of corruption, a twisting of the mind. The way his veins discolor, it almost... <sighs> Forgive my leave of logic, but it looks like some kind of language. I would suspect the king of some form of possession, demonic or fiendish in nature. To propose such a thing would cost me not only my job, but my life. My options now are to work and find a cure, daring to challenge the powers of infernal influence with my science, or the other option. Cures are more difficult. That which they seek to remedy takes study and changes with time, but far more simple concoction is the kind that kills. The final medicine. I could put an end to the triad war. An end to the twisting madness that holds up the crown. But do I have the courage? Or the moral right? Only time will tell. I hear footsteps outside my chamber. I must return to my research. Join us for Late Night Nexus, history investigation of the war that made waves we still feel today. The trials and tribulations of the Triad War. Tonight at 9. The mortal dawn begins to step off the steam barge and onto the shore of Rivestone Island. Once a jagged, stony point surrounded by the sea, now a lush tropical forest, thick with ferns, vines, and bright towering flowers. You've been sent here to find out what caused this growth and stop whatever killed the workers. As you leave the presence of Quarry Lord Broadbarrow, he hands you a simple metal device. He explains that if you aim it in the air near the edge of the island, it will create a flare. 
He will make haste to come and collect you. He says your clues are probably near the center of the island, and he urges you not to use the flare until the job is done. But he understands that things don't always go as planned. Morty eagerly jumps off and begins sniffing nearby plants. Yeah, is it a, is it a pretty foliated <laughs> island? It goes all the way up to the edge. Oof. Big tall trees? Deciduous coniferous? Tropical. Tropical. Mm. Be careful with Morty. The tropical things tend to be very uh, poisonous. Uh, Morty, don't eat anything too colorful. <laughs> he opens his mouth as this green plant just kind of slides out off of his tongue. Stop eating grass, for goodness sakes. It just makes you throw up. <laughs> the barge slowly backs away, and it seems like it's starting to move out into the bay where it can circle at a great distance. Um, could I roll herbalism and see, are these plants um, native to like the plants that we saw in the Free Isles and the other tropical plants of Mackinar that we've seen? Or do these remind me of plants that I've heard about from like Selvarax? Go ahead and give me a roll. 14. It's hard to say for sure because you've never been to Remtex, but what you saw based on your small amount of time on the island is you would doubt this region has native tropical plants like this. They almost seem like the kind of plants that might have grown here a really long time ago, like before human settlement. Okay, but this is the only island that had this jungle on it? It stands out like a big green thumb in the middle of a bay of tiny stone points. And he said that this jungle wasn't here before the incident? Yeah, he said it was a weird, weird side effect. What do you got, medicine monster? Hmm. I'm not familiar with the foliage of Remetex, but these plants are too old to have just suddenly shown up. This is unusual. That? Do you think that has something to do with what's going on? Undoubtedly something happened here. Well, the massive thick jungle lies before you. I would like to request Arvin make me a survival check if you wish to begin pressing inward. Let's check it. 16. All right. So Arvid is approaching this from the standpoint of a forest is a forest. And you're going to be using some of your hunting blades to cut down vines to clear the path and watch out for dangerous things that you might step on or creatures that could be native to the area moving about. Um, so what does this jungle forest sound like? You hear the sound of birds overhead. And they're not necessarily the musical, beautiful, tropical sounds you would expect from some sort of island covered in these sort of trees. Uh, they sound more like uh, birds of prey would, or possibly vultures. Uh, oh. Just an endless supply of... Rah! 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 <laughs> the hawk song. <laughs> Scream! Is there a climate change as we approach the island? Like, does it suddenly get warm or humid? The bay is already very warm. And it just seems more dense here. Um, you do hear the sound of buzzing insects far off in the distance, but they don't seem to be filling the entire jungle. It's slow going, though. The path is so overgrown and thick that finding any kind of footing requires a little bit of inspection. And as you begin to make your way in, I'm going to have all of you roll me a perception check, please. That's a 16 from Artyom. A 14 from Harthax. 12 from Christ. Four. <laughs> All right. As Arvid is leading the path, um, I'm going to have Arvid make me a dexterity saving throw. And you do have advantage being a barbarian. Ah, right. And the thing. The thing. That's, the, that's double sevens. Can we just talk about how often this happens to me? <laughs> it does yeah. happen a lot with Arvid. Surprisingly frequently. Uh, 
So yeah, that's uh, nine total. Okay. For just a moment, there's a flash of green and the bottom half of Arvid disappears. A massive green Venus flytrap slaps shut around Arvid's legs and torso, obscuring your lower half as its teeth begin to sink into you. (laughs) (laughs) And and as Arvid is freaking out, Chris just calmly walks over, places his palm on this flytrap and casts friends. Interesting. You release the magic into it. And you usually get a sense of some sort of self-presence or understanding in a creature that this works on. And this seems to just be an organic plant functioning on pure survival instinct. No kind of thought or cognitive energies going into this. Uh, Arvid will use his passive verbal ability to speak to animals and plants to say, let go of me, you bum! (laughs) Okay. You know what? Roll me an intimidate check. (laughs) Can I just say I love bum? (laughs) So good. Ah, bitch and dice. The fucking okay. That's a, that's that's not great. What is it? Wait, um, bitching is good. I'm so confused. Sam, help me. <laughs> yeah, no, no uh, modifier. So that's just a six. Mm. Wonderful. Uh, even though you speak its native plant language, uh, you don't scare it. It's got you right where it wants you. Fun fact: It's forcey. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> never would have guessed. Uh, you take four points of poison damage as the teeth sink further into you. What a biter. It's like yelling at a cat and it just keeps biting. <laughs> you said four? Yes. Poison. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should probably help, but at the same time, isn't Arvid the druid? Shouldn't plants kind of be? Do you need help, Arvid? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Have you got this, buddy? Like... Cut! open oh my god it stings there is an explosion of underbrush as morty leaps outward and grabs onto some of the vines connecting this thing to the ground it's growing out of it begins uh, just trying to distract it and pull at it the teeth continue to press inward and one of the other vines kind of lashes out and begins slapping to where morty is i'm concerned that none of our reaction to arvid being eaten by giant plant was help arvid (laughs) i mean He's going to take a while to digest. He's a pretty dense snack. <laughs> I'll say. Woo! <laughs> uh, you are more than welcome to give me an athletics check if you want to break free, now that you've given up on the intimidation factor. Um, if Arvid's going to try and break out, can I like walk up with my staff of the witness and try and help like pry its mouth open? Certainly. Um, you and Morty are both doing your best to pull this thing off, so you have advantage on your roll. I, I don't understand. <laughs> Did you literally roll the same number again? I mean, your athletics is quite good, so let me know the total. 12. I, there's a 12 on the die. No, no, no. This one was a... I rolled first. It gotcha. was a 2, and then the other one was a 6. Understood. Yikes. So Arvid is just not in their element right now. Mm-hmm. Something about, this isn't a forest, this isn't a mountain, this is terrain you've never dealt with before, and it's going very poorly. A forest is a forest. Snap. Oh ah! my god! It's not a forest! <laughs> Arvid, you take 10 more points of poison damage as the corrosive chemicals begin to eat away at your hide. Will someone do something? Can I cast Primal Savagery and try and just lay this plant open? Yes, of course. All right. You are front and center. All right. Um, Do I need to roll to hit a plant? Yeah. Arvid's inside of it. I do that. Can I just say, I think I think all of us were so like minimal action, high drama that all of us were like, what the fuck do we do about plant trap? As it slurps <laughs> me slowly in. <laughs> Granted, we are also not, we don't frequently have traps. Like traps don't come no. up that much. 
13 to hit a plant? You got it. The, main, right. the main thing is avoiding hitting Arvid as well. I guess that's fair. All right. Um, and it's the real trick. Does it take acid damage? It does. All right. So before I roll, 16 acid damage. You rake several massive gouges through the side of the plant, and that leaf peels back, and it kind of begins to wilt slowly, curling away in retreat. Arvid, you are now dripping with this kind of sticky, wet sap that smells like acid. Is there water anywhere nearby, like a source, a river? Can I hear anything? Uh, just back at the ocean. How long have we been traveling? About 15 minutes. I'm going back. <laughs> Arvid, uh, yeah, Arvid starts tromping back towards the ocean angrily. Give yourself a quick salt water bath from the nipples down. <laughs> Didn't even talk to the party, just like. <laughs> I also like that they have so much confidence in you that they're like, well, it's a plan. Arvid's got this. Like, what are... <laughs> oh, oh, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoops. Arvid returns from a grumpy dip into the sea to wash this plant residue off of their torso and um, returns to the group. And it has taken his uh, most of his leather pants stuff off. So now he's got jungle attire. It's the, the short mm. shorts, the booty shorts. Wow. Loincloth jorts. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good look off it. These are my jungle jorts. <laughs> Is that the name of the episode? Is it jungle jorts? Jungle jorts. Jungle jorts. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Once the Venus flytrap has retreated, you may now progress further into the jungle. One more survival check, pretty please. Arvid, do you want some help with this? I'm familiar. I can do it on my own. <laughs> Very good. That would be a one. <laughs> Are you natural? Wait, do you get advantage on this? Do, oh, do, do I? No, not On survival, survival no. no. Oh my God. So Only if Harthax was actually helping. <laughs> so Arvid exclaims that they can do it on their own. Arvid makes it about three steps before several vines shoot down from a nearby tree and wrap around his throat, lifting him up like a hangman's noose. Uh, as, as Arvid is trying to get whisked away, I'm just going to grab onto the boots and just thunderstep. So Arvid begins to get whisked up into the air and you react quickly, grabbing onto one of Arvid's legs. Your feet leave the ground for just a moment, dangling several feet in the air before the magic kicks in and you both explode away from that spot and reappear nearby. Oh, Arvid, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. I think it would make more sense for me to enter a uh, adapted form. And he goes to uh, his goat form. As as he does this and like starts going through the brush, Harthax will just kind of look and go, Ah, yes, the well-known jungle goats of Remetex. I'm certain we've we've struck gold with this animal shape. <laughs> Don't you backtalk me. <laughs> I place my hand on Arvid's side uh, to confirm that it's okay to get on their back. Mm -hmm. And then I just hop up. All right, you are now mounted on Goat Arvid, who we have not seen in some time now. Yeah. And the group slowly presses their way further towards the center of the island. You make your way further into the jungle, one whack of a vine at a time, making progress to the best of your ability. Arvid's new form is very sure-footed and finds a path easily to tread along, which helps Artyom. Um, while it's not made for jungle terrain, Arvid is a, a return to nature. You can now smell the plants more truly. You're more aware of their intentions. You, you manage to steer clear of the dangerous ones for the time being. You can also eat anything as a goat, so these vines are in trouble. That's true. Uh, you do make it to one particularly massive jungle tree that almost blocks your path for the sheer size of it. Um, and you notice that there is a tiny vein of liquid running out of it like sap. But this liquid is black 
with little ribbons of blue and green kind of running through it phosphorescently. Paradox? Is this like a normal thing? Uh, well, first of all, I'm not sure that I appreciate being associated with strange black liquids just <laughs> by default. I thought that was your whole style. I mean, come on, Chris, look at that. Look at this bracelet. You're walking around like you're a edgy goth child trying to pick up younger girls at local bazaar. I mean, he does have a point. Listen, I never got to explore my teenage years. I was very alone. <laughs> <laughs> and at the top of the tree, there are these huge white fruit, larger than pumpkins, just dangling, dripping with juices. All right. As a general jungle rule, don't eat any of it. Chris, can you detect magic? Um, maybe, Arvid, can you give me a little help? Wah! Yes. That's a good bah. bah. You know Arvid can't do that kind of stuff in goat form. Oh, oh well, I'm just going to like attune, especially now that I can like feel the earth. Just kind of feel what's going on and everything. You detect just a tiny trickle of magic running through this black liquid that seeps out of the tree. It seems to, in a way, pass to the entire plant in just chemical transference, and it seems to run deep into the earth. But it's just like a lingering aura. Hmm. Do you think it's necrotic? I will stick a claw in it. Mm -hmm. And kind of, is there any sensation from it? Your fingernail grows about half an inch. No. I think it's transmutative. Well, good. Your fingernail grows. I do the same. Mm -hmm. Same effect? Yeah, your fingernails get kind of long and corn chippy. I think we now know how this jungle grew overnight. And it seems to dry up pretty quickly. And your fingernails and your claw generally just retract back to where they were after it fades. The liquid has a scent to it. At first, it reminds you of the coppery tang of blood, but then it smells like liquid molten metal. We might want to collect some of this. I think perhaps, yes. Grab a couple little bottles and sure. scoop in as much as I can. How uh, high up are the fruits? About 15, 20 feet. Oh, the, can, I, can I borrow your uh, boomerang? It's nowhere to be seen. Oh, oh! Snort. Does it transform with them? Oh, I didn't know that. Arvid will attempt to headbutt the tree to see if that'll knock a fruit down. Yes. Cool. Roll me an athletics check. <laughs> That's better. Twenty-two. Oh yeah. Nice. Uh, Ram Arvid used headbutt. <laughs> it's super a berry effective. fell loose. <laughs> <laughs> with little effort, two large ripe fruits fall from the tree and land amongst the mortal dawn, potentially on top of one of you and not paying attention. What color are they? White. Mm. Um, I'll break one open. It kind of resembles the inside of guava and that there's tons of very small seeds, but this is some foreign fruit that you've never seen before. It smells both sour and sweet. Okay. It's not full of that same liquid though. Well, whatever that liquid is coming from in the tree, it doesn't seem to be present in these fruits. I think it may be coming from underground. Perhaps. Definitely coming from underground. Duh? Yes. There's a strange aura to this entity. And I could feel some, like, magical river or something. 
If the groundwater or the aquifer are tainted, that would explain why this is happening. So you make your way further into the jungle. This island isn't that far across. It seems massive based on how thick the vegetation is and how long it takes to even make a small amount of progress. And it seems as you get closer to the center, the sounds of the jungle get louder and louder. The birds overhead, the buzzing of insects, the potential movement of animals, never within line of sight. In an effort to aid the party and knowing how dangerous this place is, uh, Chris would like to start a song of, a predator song to kind of like uh, ward off what might come after us. Okay, uh, give me a performance check. You got it. That's a lot. That's a 19 plus 12. Mm. Wow. So much like when people blow dog whistles, there's a kind of a high-pitched noise that sets animals off. Um, You create this kind of frequency in the air. The evidence seems that it's working, and Morty's not a fan. I'm sorry, Morty. (laughs) Also, the goat's not feeling too great either. Oh. I just realized you're an animal too right now. Oh. Sorry, Hobbit. There's just an uncomfortable energy that's emanating from Chris and the sound that he's magically producing. Arvid will nervously chew on foliage. This feels like home. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Shit! You do manage to press through a little further and find a clearing that leads down into a less overgrown area of stone. Definitely a quarry. A hole leading deep underground around 200 feet from you. One thing that stands out is the body of a dwarf there along the stone. It seems like they were climbing their way through the vegetation over ferns and thick grass and their bodies laying there dead with a large flower growing through their torso emerging out of the top as well as several spears sticking out of their back. <gasps> what? This does not look good. We, we, we have to do something. We have to, I know he's dead, but we have to... We have to bring him back something i kind of reach out and see if i can feel any kind of soul presence in him okay uh, just give me a medicine check natural 20 Ooh, nice uh you can tell he's probably been dead for maybe two three days okay based on the wounds and everything like that uh does is there anything significant or unique about the wound markings that might give me more information uh the spears are all very small compared to like a normal human sized spear and they're all precisely and surgically placed into vital places to attack. It seems like the spears didn't kill him and he probably made it some distance crawling away before he lost the last of his blood and the plant grew through him. But in your careful inspection of feeling his wrist and his throat for any sign of a beating heart, you find a piece of crumpled parchment balled up tightly in his fist. Take a look. We have to save the child. We must finish the sacrament of life. The thieves have gone mad with the old blood. I pray this letter reaches you. Praise Calendron. Child? Was Calendron that god that he was saying had died? I don't remember, but he did say something about new children being born as gods. This could be something more intense than we thought. Artyom, did those spears look like they were added before or after this poor wretch expired? It's not what killed him, that's for sure. But it was definitely well placed. What is up with this flower? Is there anything special about it? It's your, more your area than mine. I will investigate the flower. It seems like a kind of carnivorous plant that would grow out of decaying corpses, a beautiful tropical flower of reds and whites. And as you made your way into the clearing, 
As you noticed, it seemed the sounds of the jungle were getting louder, even with Christ's magic pushing away some of the nearby animals. But the sounds of the jungle are no longer getting close. They are here, and you are surrounded. Figures emerge from the shadows of the forest with weapons in hand. No chanting, no growling, deadly silent. But the creatures that emerge catch you off guard. They're kobolds, and they have no fear as they charge. It looks like the MDs have made their way to the center of Riftstone Island through a jungle of exotic plant life, only to be met by some of the native inhabitants ready for a fight. If by made their way you mean stumbled into every possible trap, and if by exotic plant life you mean twisted magical prehistoric flora, and if by native inhabitants ready for a fight you mean a handful of four-pound kobolds ready to get turned into caramelized dog chow by a champion ranked team, then yeah, you're right. But I gotta say, Arvid may know his way around a frozen tundra, that kid's out of his element like a shark in a ball pit. <coughs> well, that's uh, certainly another way to describe it. But one thing is for certain. Something mysterious is afoot and changing the landscape of this dwarven quarry. Ah, this whole thing smacks of evil druids. Who else dumps magical fruit punch everywhere to summon a hungry forest of deadly flowers? That said, if all the MDs are up against us and kobolds, this'll be the easiest money they ever made. Those things are way under their CR. CR? Competitive ranking, obviously. Right, right. Well, CR or not, this jungle is alive, and it seems like the MDs are on the menu. That reminds me. I need to pick up some enchipment tater flakes and a case of Beardweiser on my way home tonight. Me and a few of the guys are getting together for some high-stakes war chest. You in, Kip? As much as you know I appreciate your invitations, you know my schedule doesn't allow for such things. I didn't know you were such a card shark, Storm. Eh, it's just me and some of the old military buddies. Plus the brothers Blanche. We do our best to stay in touch. Shit talking and trading coins seems to keep the past drama to a minimum. Plus, with Vladis gone, we can stay up real late without pissing her off. I can't believe you still keep in touch with some of the Penance members. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, but tonight I'm feeling lucky. I'm gonna be dropping royal guards and secret wars until my pants come off. Be because my, my pockets are heavy. With the coins. That came across, right? Yep. When the fire giant's away, the storm will play. Poor chest. Well, hopefully you'll be feeling okay for tomorrow's broadcast. Ugh, don't remind me. Well, I will remind our audience. Get ready to find out how the MDs fare against these fearless kobold assailants, and follow them as they traverse the tunnels and traps below the troubling transmuted tropical terra firma. Tune in next time for more of the League of Ultimate Questing. Hey, how's it Hi. going? Hi. You good? Yeah, Hi. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I was I was a little bit, so I, I got stuck trying to think. I was like, didn't we see a kobold? Oh, no, I think it was a gnoll. Yeah, it was a gnoll. Mm -hmm. He was our guide. Can I just say that Arvid versus the jungle was hilarious? That, yeah. was, that was so good. <laughs> that was great. Unintentionally. Aww. A perfect yeah, example was... of things going badly going perfectly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it was good. I I play Arvid. Me, Sam Frost. Um, <laughs> the yeah. master of the jungles. Master of... <laughs> and yeah. the master of jorts, apparently. <laughs> jungle J jorts. J J jungle jorts. Jorts of the jungle. <laughs> jorts, jorts, jorts of the jungle. <laughs> oh my God. Can I say jungle jorts sounds like a fucking Tim and Eric sketch? <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass it on. Yeah, jorts of the jungle are definitely a friend to you and me. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Mike. There was a tree. There was a tree. Was a we had to watch out for it. Yeah. <laughs>
I'm done. Normally, I'm like pretty aggressive about cutting out jokes that are too out of. There were too many good ones. I don't want to put them in Discord. I want them in the episode. Except my Ghostbusters two joke. That one's gone. (laughs) I wish I had something for Vigo the Carpathian already on my tongue off the dome. I just couldn't. I just had nothing there. Uh, My name is Michael Loving. I make bad puns and play Harithax. Hi, I'm in that order. Yes, (laughs) yes, it's true. Hi, I'm Alante. I play Chris Grand, the uh, thunder-stepping saver of uh, Goatman. Goatman. <laughs> Goatman. Uh, hi, I'm Zachary Barkas. I play Octum Volkov, the cleric of sunlight and suffering. I'm also the technical director, and I want to thank Wes Scottco for editing this episode. Our new and episode, my name is Law. Oh, God, I just wanted to get past it. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get past it. <laughs> I'm the Dungeon Master and Creative Director of Slapdash Studios. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, yeah. New episodes go live every fucking Monday. Every fucking every Monday. Fucking. Woo! Hashtag. <laughs> uh, and uh, you can find us at www.theluq.com. HTTP colon forward slash oh, no. forward slash. <laughs> go to the LUQ.com, please. Um, and uh, you know what to find there. There's good stuff. It... <clears throat> <laughs> it's, it's full of good stuff. So, uh, yeah. We we thank you, beautiful LUQDs, for listening to us all the time. Continue to listen to us. Have more people listen to us. Uh, you really put the you in LUQ mm. as Aww. our viewers. Mm. That's yeah. so cute. Spicy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, we hope to keep growing and questing with you. Mm-hmm. And we all wish you luck. Yeah.